all CEOs, me included, we don't actually know what we're doing. They're all sharks, so all you got to do, though, is no shark bait. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. <laughs> we can capture all of the wallet share. First place you start is with the product. That's just the first nut. This is the Capital Stack. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where I talk to founders, operators, and investors about all things value creation and startups. Today, I am talking with a blast from the past with uh, from me, and that is Kyle Johnson, who is the CEO. What are you the CEO of, Kyle? Uh, yeah, good, good to see you again, David. Uh, so the CEO of Smart Action. So we are a conversational AI, artificial intelligence company uh, focused in the uh, the content, contact center space with our intelligent virtual agents. How did you, like get in the CEO club. Like, I mean, that, that's crazy. I mean, it's crazy talk. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's still a little surreal sometimes, I guess. Uh, you know, I spent, um, about 25 years of my career really focused on go to market, right? So I'd been, you know, VP of sales and then chief sales officer, chief revenue officer. Uh, and so it's been a lot of time doing that, but I was also fortunate enough to, well, two things really, I had some really great mentors along the way and some CEO mentors, uh, one that we actually, uh, you'll know, we served on the board together, all three of us, uh, that really invested a lot of time in me. And so I got to to see and learn about other parts of the business. Uh, and then a couple of the companies that uh, that I was the CRO in, um, you know, really got to focus on more of the overall operations of the business as well. So I was fortunate enough to get more of the operations, product, uh, engineering, of course, HR type experience as well. And so, you know, I think uh, it gave me an opportunity to round out my my own personal skill set. And so when the uh, when the opportunity came along for this particular company, uh, for me, it felt like the right time and uh, and the right fit. So here I am. Congratulations. Thank you. Obviously, this is um, well, may not be obvious to our listeners, but it's obvious to me that this is um, a company that you came into Mm-hmm. Uh, not a company that you founded. So obviously right. there was somebody that left that position, Certainly. right? And, and so did you get hooked into it via a capital partner? So not, not exactly. Um, so the uh, the board was looking to make a, a CEO change. And so they started a search, uh, gosh, it would have been probably early 2022, um, and so a, a, basically an executive search firm reached out to me that I've had pri- uh, previous history with and said, hey, we've got this really cool company. They're looking for a CEO. Here's the space they're in. Would you like to talk? And so, of course, I said, yeah, let's let's at least have the conversation. And so I got to spend actually several months meeting with uh, each of the board members and learning more about them and, and the, of course, the PE firms that they're in and how they like to interact and then the company. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, a little bit less on a... Uh, a PE introduction and more on the executive search side. Got it. And so, so what were some what of were the things, things that, that gave you trepidation for getting out of your comfort zone, essentially, of being a CRO? Because I mean, Certainly. you could do that. You could do that in your sleep, Kyle. You've been doing that for <laughs> for decades. So, being a CEO is much different, and I'm sure that there was um, active debates in your head. Yeah, you know, there's always, and I think people that say that they don't ever experience self-doubt maybe aren't being fully genuine, right? And so you mm-hmm. always have those moments of, 
you know, can I do this? Uh, have I gotten the experience? And so I certainly went through that range of emotions as I considered the opportunity. I mean, you know, look, I was in a, a really great role uh, with a company that I had been with just about three years. We had gotten them to a great growth tra trajectory. You know, when I started there at that particular company, they were fairly flat. We got them to 20% growth in year one, 30% year two, and then, you know, 40% in year four. Um, and then actually had a transaction. So it was great. Um, and so, I, you know, you're weighing the options between do I stay here? Do I do this thing with kind of the new owners and take it to the next level? Or do I really bet on myself and, and take that next step? So there certainly were those thoughts that kind of go through your head. And then, of course, anytime you go into a new business, a new company, uh, and, and you, you've seen this, if you've ever moved from one company to the next, what you hear in the recruitment process and what you can kind of see at the surface is always very different than what you see when you really get to look behind the covers. And so knowing that that's the case with most companies I've gone into, there's always that fear of, okay, what am I not seeing? What is it that I can't really uncover uh, until I get into that seat? And so, yeah, there's definitely some of those thoughts that go through your head, but ultimately, you know, I felt this, uh, like I mentioned, was the right move, the right time. And so, you know, I'm loving it. I've been in the seat since, uh, really November of last year and just uh, really enjoy the company and the people I get to work with. And so for a guy like you, who's been a career, you know, sales, go to market expert, you know, you essentially, when a company gets transacted on, you know, you have a chance to either, you know, work for somewhere else, go up, you know, as, you know, or stay with the company, go up market, but then mm -hmm. you're dealing with less fun, right um type of culture because when companies get bigger you know that's Certainly. that that naturally happens or you make a lateral move and you just do it again so there is a natural evolution where you kind of get stuck at the top if you're a growth guy you know you, it's hard to not be a growth guy right right yeah and, <laughs> and honestly that was one of the things that was a fear for me if i didn't make a change uh you know i had a lot of conversations with several of my mentors right before making that decision ultimately and one of the things that was, I think, the realization for me that was most impactful is if I don't take that next step, um, I'm always going to be looked at as the go-to-market guy, right? The sales right. and marketing guy. And, uh, and it, it was validated because there's some great PE firms that I've worked with in, in companies where we had very successful outcomes. And so, you know, those guys, it's a small network, right? So they reach out to you and they want to talk to you about their next portfolio company. And that's what I would see. It was always, hey, it's the chief revenue officer job in, mm -hmm. in company ABC, right? And so, again, I, I knew if I didn't make the move at some point, or at least I felt, right, that I'd kind of be stuck there. And not that being a chief revenue officer is a bad role. You know, yeah. it's a phenomenal role. Uh, but, but I was really ready to take that next step and really own, uh, I'll say the organization, but in terms of you know, driving that culture where I truly get to be the person that drives the culture that we want to embody as a company and what we display for our customers uh, and be able to influence people and customers in that way, in a more impactful way. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, uh, smart action is a, a VoIP based technology, correct? Um, so not exactly. So, you know, smart action is uh, it's a SaaS platform company. Okay. Uh, we've got, um, you know, this mixture of our own uh, IP intellectual property where we have built our own uh, NLU and, and NLP over the years. The company's been around for 15 plus years. Right. So so they've been around for a while. Um, but we're able we're really agnostic to 
the contact center platform or the telephony system that uh, that our end user is is using, right? So we're going to plug in and insert our technology at any point there. We can be the front door. So when you call the main number for that company or contact center, our platform can take over there or it could sit behind their existing IVR, right? So they call in, you call in, customer calls in, press one for sales, two for customer support. And we can be just a piece of it behind that layer as well. So it really depends on what the customer is looking to solve for. And we do that over the PSTN and over SIP, right? So again, it's we'll, we'll, we'll meet the customer where they're at. Bro, you got to like break down those acronyms for us. <laughs> okay, PSTN, Public Switch Telephone Network. Okay. And then SIP is Session Initiated Protocol. So now we're getting like real, I'm going to really geek out a little bit on that stuff. Um, so that essentially is, are you using copper phone wire, so legacy phone system for your incoming calls into your business? Or are you doing it in a VoIP manner, right? Is it coming in over the internet? Got it. Got it. And so, so you've been in in, a, in and around um, phone technology for a lot of your career. So A I lot. Mean, yeah. So, I mean, like, do you, do you like it or is this kind of this where you're stuck? You know, it's interesting. Um, I think I fell into it. So, you know, when I joined uh, Wayne Kellum at Vocalocity years ago, uh, that was really my first stint, if you will, in being in a in a true like telecommunications technology, right? We were we called it way back then. I'm dating myself. We called it hosted PBX back then. Now you would refer to it as UCAS, right? Unified Communications as a Service. And so that was my first stint. I had been in data technology companies. I had been in fintech companies, uh, and so that was my first uh, kind of role in that communications technology. And it, and maybe it's it's like this niche that you get into. What I'd say is that in the AI space, in the artificial intelligence space, it's less about um, the telecommunications, but there certainly is a very close fit there because they interact so closely together. So, so yeah, it's kind of, I think I got into it and then that experience kind of lends itself to the next opportunity. So it's been helpful. Yeah. And the technology has been evolving and obviously there's, right. you know, there's no, there's no shortage of things to talk about with um, all the AI stuff. Um, I hear the term natural language understanding a lot. How do you differentiate that between just natural language processing? Yeah, so understanding is being able to take what you and I are saying and essentially, um, I'll say in layman's terms, get to the intent of what's actually being asked. Processing is then taking that language and pushing it back across whichever medium or channel that you want to use. So whether that's voice so you call in and you talk to a voice bot, for lack of a better term, and that voice bot talks back to you, or it could be over chat or SMS. So you think your typical chat transaction where you think you're talking to John in Indiana, but you're really talking to a computer, uh, th that's essentially it. So it's the understanding is so that it can process what you're actually saying, and then processing is pushing it back across. Mm -hmm. um, is it hard? Um, you know, I've, I've always looked, I've looked at like companies that, play um ai companies that play in and around mm -hmm. phone systems and you're kind of at the whim of the technology of the phone system that they're using right and um you know if that breaks your stuff breaks and you know i mean candidly you could probably get blamed for it how do you think about managing that risk of providers that you're working with yeah so some of that is now again if, if we sit behind their ivr and that breaks then yes it can be problematic now there's ways uh to redirect traffic so mo most companies these days especially 
enterprise communications companies, right? So not your home phone service, right? But they're servicing large businesses, set up failover so that you don't really have that issue. Or if their whole system comes down, that number can forward to somewhere else. So in, in the case of the smart action technology, they could just forward that number into our, like we have our own uh, essentially PBX or IVR, I'll call it PBX or IVR light, um, that we can run those calls through. So we can provide that as a service as well. Um, we don't we don't go out and sell as if we're a, a failover because that's not what we want to do or what we want to be. There's real value in the AI technology and platform, but we certainly can be that. Right, but you know, not just uh, the fail, the failing component, or you know, the internet connection not going on, but just you know, essentially, your product working and providing value for the customer is mm-hmm. still needs to plug into that technology. So, I mean, are there partners that you have to work with? I mean, are you working with partners that only have like open source technology that you know is a little bit more uh, less gated? Like, how do you think about you know just developing the product around something as mission critical as um, a phone system? Yeah. So, no, like I said, I mean, we really are agnostic to the phone system or the contact center technology they're using. Uh, We've got integrations with all of the major phone systems and contact center systems that are out there. And if it's one that we don't, if they've got a very bespoke um, application, then we can build it. It doesn't take very long to build those integrations these days. Got it. All right. Cool. So, you know, this this idea of this CRO transition to like the CEO transition and you have to figure like, I don't, I don't have a linear way of thinking, right. I'm kind of right. like Wayne in that, in that sense that it, you know, it goes kind of a, uh, in all over the place, but what did you not expect, you know, kind of going into being a CEO as far as like a persona perspective, because mm-hmm. I could assume that, you know, a CRO has got a very set persona and stepping into the CEO, what was like the biggest surprise to you? from like uh, a skill set or personality trait that you needed that you might have been underdeveloped? Yeah, so that's an interesting question. Um, And I'm not sure that I've really thought of it that deeply. Again, I think that being able to develop a lot of that experience um, over the last, I'll say six years, there was probably six years worth of uh, a couple of companies there where I got to take on, even though it was a CRO title, it was a much larger role in the organization, right? So my my sphere of influence uh, was outside of just the go-to-market. Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of good, again, I think it was, I got a lot of practice there. And maybe even when I, I probably didn't realize it at the time, right? Because it's just happening naturally. So when I stepped into the CEO role, again, I'll, I'll, let me back up a little bit, David. So I think for me, and and it's funny because my team has heard this, um, any customers, I love talking to our customers, they get to hear this. Um, I am a relationship guy at my core. And I believe that building relationships, and I mean genuine relationships with people, is one of the most important things you can do, right? So that at its core is what I like to focus on. And so what I found is, you know, you've got to make hard decisions in any role, but especially when you're a CEO. But when you have a genuine relationship with someone and the sense there isn't, you know, what is what is he or she, what's Mr. or Mrs. CEO doing to, you know, to, to not, uh, you know, not be positively impactful to my career path today, right? If, if there's that thought in the back of their head, then it's a little bit harder to function. When you can build that relationship and that trust with your team, then when you have some of those hard conversations, they go a lot better because they know deep down that, hey, some decisions being made, right? Could be a reorg, right? We're, we're, we're going to take some things away, put them up, put them with another person or role in the company. And those are always tough decisions. 
But when that team member knows, that staff member knows, hey, he's got my best interest at heart. I, I know he's not doing this you know, to be malicious. It's because he's going to help me develop further in, in a more impactful way in my career. Then that always uh, that always helps. It goes a little bit further. And so I think, again, getting the experience and the opportunity to do that for several years before fully stepping into that CEO role was really helpful for me. Um, and so, again, so I'll attribute a little bit of the of the maybe the success I've had so far. Um, and it's early right in this organization from a cultural standpoint, from a buy in and trust from my executive leadership team. I think those are the things that have been helpful. So I didn't get a lot of the uh, the ahas and gotchas um, quite mm-hmm. yet. I'm sure there's some coming <laughs> down the road. I love what you said about relationships. Um, I think a lot of people think of software companies and SaaS companies to have this scale element in everything that gets done. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not a more people business than SaaS. It is, it's all people in code. And, um, you know, it's like I talked to some of the portfolio companies of mine, especially when they're early in their product development is that, dude, you're, you're a small business. I mean, you're right. (laughs) I mean, there's nothing scalable about what you're doing when you're getting product market fit, you know, right. You just need to constantly be on the phone. Is there a way in your, in your mind, seeing that you've worked in bigger companies where relationship building and maintaining relationships is, is there a scalable function to that? Yeah. So in a small company, it's easy, right? You've got 50 employees, maybe even up to a hundred employees. It's easier to have, um, broader relationships with broader, I'll say scopes within the organization, right? So you think about your executive leadership team and, and I can have a direct relationship with them. And then I can even go another level down and have direct relationships with those folks because it's a smaller organization. As you get larger, um, and then I think to some of my public company days where there are thousands of employees, there's no way possible, right, for me to have direct relationships with every single person. We'll talk about customers in a moment, but like every single person. And so that's where it's important, I believe, um, that you're able to instill that notion of relationship and genuine relationship with your next level down and that next level down. Because, again, then you have influence over that type of relationship with other individuals. So, so at that point, I don't need to, I'd love to, so to be clear, but I don't need to have the direct relationship with maybe that entry level person that's just come in. If I had time, I'd love to do it. But what I know is I spent enough time with my direct report or that next level down that I know that that is being passed through and that that employee sees the value that they have in that relationship with their manager or their manager's boss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now no, you get to the customer yeah. level. It's a culture Sorry. thing. You have to, you have to lead yes. from the front, right? Right. That's exactly right. On the customer side, again, if you're a if you're a enterprise focused company and you're a little bit smaller, and so you've got great revenue, big revenue dollars, but it's like fifty customers. Well, that's easy. I, I can get on the phone with a, a customer, and I could talk to one customer a week and get through them in a year. You get into some scale, and you know you've got tens of thousands of customers. Again, that's a little bit harder. So how do you do it? You use technology and you use you know your team, you use your people. I think of you know having a really good customer success or account management function that has those constant touch points with those customers. And so again, that CEO's kind of direction around the culture and the relationship building gets passed through to the customers as well. Seeing that you're in charge of now multi-disciplines, right? You know, mm-hmm. sales, customer success, technology, product. 
how do you prioritize yourself and how do you think about managing your own time? Yeah. So the earlier question you just asked me, um, when you just asked that question, I'll tell you now I'm going to link the two together. So what was the, maybe what was the big surprise or one of the hardest things? And that right there is it. That, that I think is where I had the biggest and still to this day, right. Still have the biggest adjustment on managing that time because whether it's your own internal employees, whether it's other SaaS companies or service providers that, you know, that want your time to pitch their thing to you, whether it's that, you know, that next private equity group that's reaching out constantly, right? Like it's, how do you prioritize what you do and, you know, making sure there's enough hours in the day. I I joked with my wife uh, a few months into this role, you know, she of course asked, well, you know, babe, how's it going? And I said, well, um, it's going great. I love it. I, but I'm busier than I have been since I had three jobs in college full time. Right. So, <laughs> so it's one of those things where continuing to maybe uh, figure out how to better manage time in that way so that I'm not, you know, I wake up early every morning. So I, I can't work, though, from 4 a.m. to 11 or 12 p.m. every night. Right. And so it's finding ways to better manage that time. And so, again, learning how to delegate and trust your team and things like that, I think, are pretty huge. They're pretty impactful. Is there a framework that you use to say that this is more important than that or like th- this team's stronger than that and I can you know delegate maybe it's not the way I want it but it's you right. know, at least there's going to be momentum how do you is like what, how do you run through that 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 schematic in your in your, in your big yeah I think head? I think the latter so I probably haven't thought of it in terms of a specific framework although maybe there's a book we could go right because I think there might be a lot of value <laughs> in that um, but but certainly you know you constantly evaluate your team and the strength of your team. You're always looking for, you know, who are those high potential folks and and things like that as well. Right. So I think that's an important part is there are certain areas in your, and this is going to be true anywhere. There's always the, that certain leader, um, that certain manager that's going to be stronger in an air in, in a particular group or division of your business that may be stronger than another. Right. And so again, knowing that you can put a little bit more trust, um, and back off a little bit, maybe from that area and focus your time on some of those areas where people just need more development. And that's what it's usually, what it's usually about, right? Again, I'm a, I'm a big behavior-based coaching person. I'm a huge on coaching and mentorship. And so investing time, because for me, I, I had people that took an interest in me that saw something in me, you know, 25, 30 years ago where they invested their time. And so that has always stuck with me. And so, yeah, spending more time with those folks to help coach them up and develop them more, um, so yeah, you're and again, you identify that by figuring out where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are, where you can spend a little less time and focus on the areas that need the help. I know, totally. I mean, I've got a small, I mean, it doesn't pale to the amount of people that you manage, but you know, I just think about, you know, setting time out to make sure that I'm coaching and developing and then I realize like like I need a I need a batch time for me to get my shit together in order right. to coach them effectively. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, yeah. and then, at the end of the day, you're just like, you know, you're just like everything's blocked off. Right. And I don't know about you, David. I live by my calendar. So right, wrong or indifferent. Uh, and I've been like this for a long time. Everything I do gets put on a calendar. And so and it just it's part of what helps me manage that time. So and I'm very visual so I can visualize, you know, my day, my week. Uh, as well. And that's true both in my personal life and my professional life. I joke about my kids will say, hey, don't forget, I've got X, Y, or, uh, you know, X or Y event going on. I'm like, please make sure it's on my calendar or else I'll forget. Yeah, it's, and not, so, yeah, it's, not, so, it's not happening if it's not on the calendar. Right. It's, exactly. It's not real if it's not on the calendar. And so 
you know, using my calendar to do exactly that, you know, so of course, you know, I, I do regular one-to-ones with my direct reports and then I do, so that would be weekly. And then with my uh, folks, maybe the, the skip level, right? So the next level down, maybe that's once every other week or once a month, right? But all that time uh, I schedule on my calendar and I legitimately will put on there if I need to prepare for certain things and prepare for meetings, right? Even that mm-hmm. stuff gets blocked in on that calendar. Now, that doesn't mean that the phone doesn't ring or the or the or the right. chat doesn't pop up and you have to kind of step away. But it definitely helps me from a time management standpoint on here are the things I'm focused on today and this week so that I make sure I can give enough attention and proper attention to each one. And so you say you wake up early. What's your morning oh. routine? Yes, I, I get up pretty early. I'm usually awake by four. The first thing I do is I grab my phone and I start checking emails because, you know, you get the worst thing you can do. Yeah, it's the worst (laughs) thing to do. But I do it. And, you know, for many years, I I I ran go to market teams for companies that were global. Right. So I'm getting emails. I got people in Hong Kong. I got people in the U. I mean, they're all over. Right. So it's just like there's never an off button. But I do that first and I kind of scan through and see what's what's high priority. And I'll address that. But as soon as I'm done with that, it is get up, brush your teeth and I head to the gym. You know, for me. That's how I get my day started 99% of my days, right? So I get up, I go to the gym, you know, I live not in the city, so I'm a little bit further out. So for me, it's a 20, 25 minute drive to the gym, but I love that because that's also my time to like mentally prepare for the day, mentally prepare for that workout even sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so I'll go spend an hour or so in the gym uh, and then head home shower and then get back into it. And so for me, then when I start working, when I start interacting with people, my brain's awake, man. I, I, I'm, the mm-hmm. blood's pumping. Uh, my brain's working finally. Uh, and I feel like uh, I'm, I'm ready to take on whatever's in front of me that day. So, mm-hmm. And uh, what's, your, what's your diet looking like these days? You're looking busy. Well, it could be better. I mean, I think that's probably true for most of us. Um, I'm one of those people, though, where um, I eat like six or seven meals a day, though. So smaller meals, but more frequently. So then because that I've trained my body like that for, for so many years, if I don't eat every couple hours, I get sick. It's crazy. Like it's, it's maybe it's not a good thing. Um, but yeah, so I eat every couple hours. I try to, I try to stay high protein and then complex carbs. Uh, I definitely like sweets. And so I have to be very, uh, disciplined around sweets. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I try to be, I'm getting older, man. So I've got to, I've got to eat healthy. I've got to continue to stay in the gym so that, you know, I've got some kids as well that have gotten older. My children are, are now in their twenties. And so, you know, my, my two boys, I've got two boys and a daughter and, you know, I got to make sure I can take my boys still. Cause you can't let them, can't let them be no, the old man. No. So there's, <laughs> no, there's some gotta, motivation gotta, there too. Yeah. You got to be able to, you know, take them in the back and beat the shit out of them you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> or, or else they lose respect for I'm you. I'm hoping I got a couple yeah. years of that left in me. We'll see. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you still in Georgia or did you move for the job? No, still in Georgia. Yes. Yeah, so we, we, uh, we live up in the Canton area. Yeah. Moved here 17 years ago, fell in love with this, uh, with the, with the state, with this area. And it became home for us. You know, each of my kids were born in Florida, but we moved here when they were all very young. And so they grew up here. Uh, and, and we just, you know, we've made great friends here, uh, really good schools that the kids were able to go through. My oldest just graduated from Georgia. So there's my brag moment. Nice. I'll throw that in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he graduated with a business degree from Georgia. So we're super excited for him. But but yeah, no, still in this area. Love the, love the technology community in this area. Uh, and so I have no plans to leave. You know, Kyle, I, you know, I'm going to say this, you know, we've, you know, spent a little bit of time together in the past. We haven't connected in a long time, but, you know, I love the CEO look on you. 
<laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I really think it's spectacular. Um, because I remember, I remember we tried to recruit you to be the CEO of Allbound, and maybe right. that, maybe that, maybe that, you know, um, that that you know the company was definitely subscale and talk about problems. There were a lot of problems into it, but you know, um, you know, the level of 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 um, I think you know the the aptitude to want to grow, right? Right, and, and you know, is just it's so great, and I think you probably are and will continue to be an exceptional operator on the on a on a holistic CEO front. So I'm super excited. That, no, that that's incredibly kind, man. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for anyone that's listening, what is uh what are like what's the most the 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 the, the 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 book that you've gifted the most to your team. So the book there, so there's three. <laughs> so, okay. um, and they kind of go to, for me, they go together and, you know, for, for so many of my years early on, it was, um, they were, it was around leadership training and coaching again, back, back to what I said earlier. Um, it's, it, you know, it's this coaching and mentoring mentality at heart. Right. And so there's a couple of books by Ferdinand Fournier around, you know, the psychology of why people, why employees don't do what they're supposed to do and kind of how to address it. And then there's a follow along book that's how do you actually coach? It's literally walks you through the coaching process so that you can improve work performance. And that's across any part of your organization. That's not just a go to market. It's not just a sales and marketing kind of thing. And so those have been foundational. They were foundational for me early in my career. And so those are books that I've used uh, or have gifted the most. Uh, in fact, Anytime I start in a new organization, I take my team through that training um, together. So, so those two, and then um, I, I love, I love um, Franklin Covey's book on uh, the laws of leadership, and so mm-hmm. that's another one that uh, is probably one of the most uh, most gifted, most utilized book uh, when I when I come into a new organization. And those books, I feel, are absolutely timeless. Right. right. You, like they don't become obsolete. <laughs> right. You know, and I mean, you could, you know, read the next go to market SAS. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but, you know, who knows? I mean, that could be dead. And, you know, based on, you know, what works and what doesn't. On, right. You know, outbound, you know, sales techniques. But certainly. I mean, these leadership books, they really, you know, that's why there's not a lot of new ones. Right. Like, they, because yeah, that's these, exactly these right. Work. And by the way, like, you know, I mentioned those were the first, uh, at least the the, uh, the first two books I mentioned were the first two I was given in my career when I first got promoted from being a, a bag carrying sales guy to now you're like a sales manager, right? Or a sales supervisor. And so they were written a long time ago. I've been doing this 25 plus years. And so we do, when I take my teams through it, we do chuckle because some of the examples they use about the issues you're solving for in your, in your business or your workspace, um, have changed over the years, but the principles remain the same. And so mm-hmm. you're exactly right. Leadership and, and those coaching principles, they haven't really changed much. But the, you know, do I use email marketing? Do I use you know, digital marketing? Right. Do I do outbound cult? Like that changes every few years. Sure, sure. Uh, and what was the name of that book you said? You said the author. I'm not sure I caught the name. Yeah, so uh, so there's two books by Ferdinand Fournier. It's Why Employees Don't Do What They're Supposed to Do. That's the mm-hmm. first one. And then the second one is called Coaching for Improved Work Performance. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's going to definitely be on the DWP uh, book club list. So Perfect. <laughs> uh, Kyle, it's been awesome catching up with you. Um, 
you're so damn charming. I'm going to have to slow down or speed up the podcast because you're Southern <laughs> and you speak slow, but you know, we can edit this. Um, you know, just kidding. Uh, you are going to be a, a dynamite CEO. Your, your capital partners are very lucky to have you. Thank and, you. Um, everybody, if you like what you hear, please subscribe and, uh, tell a friend if you, uh, you can find me on my name, David Paul, or the Capital Stack on all your major platforms, YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple. And we will drop an episode every Tuesday where we just try to get a little bit better to try to get an edge, right, to performance and being great um, being great value creators. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.